welcome to the Aerospace Advantage podcast. I'm your host, John Slickbaum. Here on the Aerospace Advantage, we speak with leaders in the DOD, industry, and other subject matter experts who explore the intersection of strategy, operational concepts, technology, and policy when it comes to air and space power. So if you like learning about aerospace power, you are in the right place. To our regular listeners, welcome back. And if it's your first time here, thank you so much for joining us. As a reminder, if you like what you're hearing today, do us a favor and follow our show. Please give us a like and leave a comment so that we can keep charting the trajectories that matter to you most. I just want to take a quick moment to highlight the fact that we have hit episode 100 with this release. It is really hard to believe, but when I think back to all of the conversations we've had, topics we've tackled, and stories we've explored, it's really been an incredible journey. So bottom line, thanks to you, our listeners, to our guests, and a big thumbs up to the Mitchell team who make it all happen behind the scenes. Now this week, we have our very own Heather Penny with us to discuss her latest report, Five Imperatives for Developing Collaborative Combat Aircraft for Teaming Operations. Now, as you know, we talk about this topic a lot because it's a huge priority for the Air Force, but it also involves tremendous technological discovery, plus a lot of development regarding how we're actually going to use these things in the battle space. So just to clarify, autonomous unmanned aircraft have been called many things over the years, everything from loyal wingmen to manned unmanned teaming. And while the teams have evolved, the concept generally remains the same. So Lucky, thank you so much for joining us today. Slick, thank you so much. As always, it's great to be back with you and our listeners. All right, Lucky, first and foremost, can you paint an operational picture for us that will help us understand CCAs in their future role? So maybe describe what a typical sortie might look like. Slick, first of all, we need to understand that there'll be many different kinds of collaborative combat aircraft. There won't be any one-size-fits-all when it comes to CCA. There might be fairly rudimentary ones, some that are, might would be very sophisticated, some that will be more simple, some might have more complex sensors and combinations of weapons, and they'll come in all shapes and sizes, be missionized for different types of roles, and they'll have different ranges, different aerodynamic qualities. So it should be a very heterogeneous fleet of CCAs. For example, you could have some simple missile or bomb trucks that station keep. Or you could have something more sophisticated, like an offensive counter-air sweep aircraft that pushes out in front of human packages, or even electronic warfare aircraft that maneuver independently to provide best coverage for the mission package. We could even have sensing swarms that collaborate and act independently of humans, but together work to, again, support that broader mission package. So there are a lot of different ways that we could potentially use these collaborative combat aircraft, and that's going to define what they look like, what they're designed to do, what kind of sensors, and also sophistication of their autonomy. So from a human point of view, these CCA will be kind of like a combination of a weapon and a wingman. They'll take programming, Humans will have to plan what they want to do, and then they'll test that through simulation. And then the humans will, of course, go through their mission brief. In the air, humans will interact with their CCA during mission execution. And that's, again, going to be very specific to the mission and the CCA role. And humans might even have more than one kind of CCA under their lead. Post-mission, humans will need to debrief their CCA continue to train and refine their aircraft algorithms. And of course, Intel will want to download any data that's collected by the CCA. 
Importantly, we should also explore how CCA, how their autonomy, can help debrief human performance and maybe even suggest new tactics, techniques, and procedures based off the data that the CCA collected from the battle space. But these are all things that have yet to be defined. The service is still in the very early stages of exploring operational concepts, so there is a lot of work that needs to be done. All right, I'm going to point out for the Thunderbird fans out there that when you're talking about close formation, you're not talking about the air shows. But okay, getting back on track, I, I really get uh, what you're saying. So what's driving the service toward this direction? I mean, the Air Force's aircraft modernization portfolio is already really full, and we've talked about it. We've got B-21, F-35, KC-46, T-7, and GAT. So you get what I mean. We're buying a lot over the next decade. So what's driving leaders to add one more capability to this list? Slick, that is a crucial question. Why pursue autonomous collaborative combat aircraft? After all, the recapitalization debt that the Air Force is having to pay after 30 years is already intimidating. The Air Force has hit rock bottom. It's the oldest, the smallest, and the least ready that has ever been in its history. You know, the Heritage Foundation recently scored the Air Force as very weak. So why levy the burden of developing, acquiring, and fielding an entirely new type of aircraft at the same time that the Air Force is struggling to replace its traditionally manned aircraft? Why not just buy more manned aircraft? So there are three main pressure points that are driving us towards collaborative combat aircraft. First, the Air Force must grow capacity. It has got to get bigger. And more than just that, when we look at what it will take to prevail in a peer conflict, we need to transform our force design. This means doing something different than building a better mousetrap. We've got to have the capacity, so that's numbers, quantity, to enable tempo, mass, and also have attrition tolerance. This is all about numbers that enable continuous pressure and simultaneous concentration of force, even when we experience real-time losses. And we need to have depth in our strategic reserve. We don't even have the strategic reserve of forces to feed the fight. Well, we've gotten so small that our strategic reserve, like literally our Air Force Reserve and our Air National Guard, they're an operational reserve. We need to build up that strategic reserve because we do not have the industrial capacity to rapidly replace combat losses. But we also simultaneously need to present complexity to the adversary and have operational resilience. And this is different we become very predictable to our adversaries. China, in particular, has gone to school on how we operate, and they understand how to paralyze our operations. So we need a new force design that will confound their targeting and be operationally effective and self-healing. Heather, I've got to quickly comment on something that you said there, and I like the way you put it, that we have to, we as an Air Force and as a nation, have to understand this thing of attrition tolerance, right? It's something that we really haven't had to face realistically in a, in a shooting war, as you said. So I think that's something we need to come to grips with. So I do want to ask, you know, how do CCAs address this problem then? Slick, absolutely. We have not had to deal with the, the problem of combat losses for well over 30 years. I mean, think back to Desert Storm. That was a virtually immaculate air campaign, right? So as we think about what peer conflict is going to impose on us, we have to be ready to be able to absorb those combat losses, be attrition tolerant, have the reserve, and then frankly, the numbers to be operationally resilient and present that complexity. And so this is where CCA could potentially help out if we can get them to be dramatically lower cost 
than manned aircraft because that would allow us to be able to get to the numbers that we need. So CCA could go really far in solving that need for capacity. And because they're unmanned, they could make the attrition element more tolerable. This is one of the most important considerations that are driving the Air Force towards CCA. When it comes to attrition of manned aircraft, the Air Force simply does not have the pilot training enterprise it needs to build the capacity that it needs. Look, we're in a pilot crisis right now, and the Air Force can't even dig its way out of a peacetime pilot shortfall. How's it going to handle attrition and combat losses? The Air Force simply can't produce pilots today, and it also does not have the squadron capacity or manning to experience those new pilots either. Experience for pilots is about hours and judgment, and that translates into combat effectiveness. The more hours a pilot has, the more effective they are in combat. And this is historically proven. So, you know, it gets back to that old question. How do you make a 500-hour experienced pilots? 500 hours. It literally takes time and sorties. And when you're trying to replace combat losses from a position where you're already short on pilots, you do not have time. The value of a new CCA is that you don't have to experience them. A CCA rolling off the line is just as smart as their latest software drop. Now, that is a great point about you know being able to replace a woman for a flight lead right away. So what prompted you to write this report? So like this report is built off of work that I've been exploring for well over the past year. People have been tossing around terms like autonomy and CCA a lot, and they're treating these aircraft as if they're going to magically solve the strategic problems the Air Force faces. But in many ways, replacing a human with an unmanned aircraft, I mean, truly replacing the human cognition, is an unproven, unvalidated proposition at this point. So I really wanted to dig into the underlying assumptions and the foundational elements that are defining the Air Force's investment vector. Importantly, one of the things that bothered me during my research is that I consistently heard lack of trust. Warfighters were generally enthusiastic about the need for and the potential of collaborative combat aircraft, but they were really skeptical that the technology will deliver as promised. I mean, after all, we're asking them to replace their wingmen, their human wingmen, with a totally unproven new technology. And the engineers sensed that skepticism. They sensed that hesitation. They consistently said, whether or not it was within the laboratories or within industry, technologists said that they consistently saw lack of trust as the number one barrier to fielding CCA. So I wanted to dig into that. Why was I hearing from both sides about this trust gap or trust barrier? So what did you find? What's causing this trust gap? So like much of this trust gap has to do with three major factors. First, Warfighters have not been meaningfully involved in developing the autonomous agents. And when I say agent, I'm talking about the brains of the CCA. That's all the software, the algorithms, all this, the programming containers, how they sense the world, how they, they perceive that, how they then think about it and gonculate it, how they make decisions, and then how that influences their behaviors and their outcomes, right? Warfighters really haven't been meaningfully involved on a daily basis. The second piece is that there has been an insufficient focus on teaming dynamics. Collaborative combat aircraft. Collaborative is the first word, right? We're expecting these autonomous aircraft to team with humans. But there has not been sufficient focus on those teaming dynamics. 
And that's really important because you can't program those dynamics after the fact. And finally, we haven't flown these aircraft, not in a way that exposes warfighters on a daily iterative manner where they take off with a CCA as their wingman every day to expose them and get them familiar with how CCA behave and will operate. With a technology that's so revolutionary and so disruptive, we cannot simply develop these aircraft in isolation and then toss them over to the warfighters once they're ready and say, here you go, have fun, figure it out. We've got to have the warfighters involved from the very beginning. And a crucial piece, absolutely essential, is that if we're going to have autonomous aircraft and humans collaborate in the battle space, we have to develop those teaming behaviors together. Well, Lucky, thanks for that breakdown. So now I've got to ask, what's the overarching thesis of your report? So like the overarching thesis of the report is that we have got to focus more on the teaming behaviors, and that has to be a foundational element of the autonomous agent. As I said, you know, we cannot bolt teaming on afterwards. And success in the battle space will rely upon those teaming behaviors, not just for the humans, but also for the CCA. We understand that there are limits to autonomy, there are limits to the machine learning, and there'll be, so there will be limits to what the CCA can be able to do within the battle space. And humans will be key to their success. Just like if we create the right teams, those CCA can actually enhance human performance within the battle space. So we need to involve operators early because these teaming dynamics, those programs, that software has to be part of the development because it will influence and impact and even change the behaviors and outcomes of the CCA. So we need to do that from the very beginning. Well, Heather, I have to think that current unmanned aircraft that we see employed in combat operations like the MQ-9 Reaper, they work around this issue of trust because they're actually flown by humans through an impressive data link. Is that right? Exactly, Slick. RPAs are just that, remotely piloted aircraft. There's another human at the other end of the data link. You know, when I was deployed, and I'm sure with you too, I worked with Predators and Reapers, and I was talking with another human who was maneuvering their aircraft and managing their sensors. So although there wasn't a human sitting in the plane, it was still a manned aircraft. Future collaborative combat aircraft will be entirely different. They'll have an autonomous agent. And again, as I said, you can think of the agent like the brains of the CCA. So there'll be a machine, a program, that'll be making decisions, maneuvering, managing the sensors, employing weapons. And that's an entirely different deal. As humans, we understand other humans. We have what's called theory of mind. We can put ourselves into another human and say, what would they be thinking? But right now, we don't have that ability to do that with machines. So if we're going to move to a world where CCAs are going to be part of the air power equation, there's some key factors that need to be addressed, and you really hit some of the points in your report. So let's start with one of the most foundational involving pilots up front in the development process. So can you explain your thinking on this? Let's start with the most basic insight. CCAs can only do what they've been programmed to do. And that means if the algorithms aren't there, CCA will not be able to execute that behavior. What we're building with CCA is very different from traditional aircraft or weapons or sensors, where we could define the requirements, threshold, and objectives that engineers could then build to, right? They're looking for roll rates and, and G rates and speeds and so forth. But CCA will be a lot more like a cross between a wingman and an aircraft. 
The operators who will be using these systems must be intimately involved in the development process because the software, the algorithms that will define the autonomy, how these CCA will think and behave, as I said, it can't be bolted on afterwards. That those teaming dynamics are going to impact how the CCA thinks, how it decides, and how it acts. So this is more than just simply warfighters generating requirements and trusting the engineers to deliver. This is crucially important when it comes to teaming and how we envision any of the CCA to operate. If we want CCAs to be able to team with warfighters, then warfighters need to be able to define the kind of teaming behaviors that they expect and they need from the CCA. And we can only get that right if warfighters are participating on a daily basis in the DevSecOps process, you know, that rhythm to develop, test, and refine the software and the algorithms. You know, I, I love the Predator and I love the Reaper. They were really game-changing capabilities when they got to the field, right? But if you talk to any old-timer who flew those early versions, only an engineer would have thought that Control-Alt-Delete was a good way to turn an airplane left. It was very clear that a lot of the human factors, ergodynamics, and the ways that they, the engineers expected the pilots and the sensor operators to interact with the machine had not been tested with the pilots and the sensor operators. Absolutely, and obviously that makes a lot of sense to me. So what does trust look like in the human realm of air combat operations? So how would you translate those attributes for technology that will rely on autonomy to execute missions? So like, this is the heart of the question, right? How do we take something that's like warm and fuzzy, like the notion of trust, and turn that into technology? I think one of the insights here that the CCA will be similar to a combination of wingmen and weapons gives us some insight on where we need to look, and that's human formations. In order to increase trust and adoption of CCA from the beginning, they should begin to act and feel more like a human wingman than some kind of strange autonomous machine, right? So that led me to the five pillars, effectiveness, understandability, dependability, control, and workload. So when I speak about effectiveness, the question that we have to answer there for warfighters is, will my teammate enhance my mission success? That is, will they provide better mission outcomes than a human wingman would? Understandability, this is really crucial. Again, as I mentioned, theory of mind, we have to be able to understand the mind of the agent, right? The mind of the CCA. The question here is, why did my CCA do that? And what are they going to do next? We have to enable warfighters to understand the behaviors, the decisions, and even just how their CCA thinks so that they can begin to trust and anticipate how their CCA will behave. Dependability. How do I know that I can rely on my CCA teammates? Dependability goes beyond just ensuring that the data has integrity and it hasn't been hacked into. Dependability really goes to knowing that my teammate will do what I need it to do and what I expect it to do within the battle space. Control. How do I know that my CCA teammates will do what I tell them to do or what I need them to do? You know, the concern of having an autonomous aircraft is that it could potentially go rogue, that it could reach the limits of its capability and do something that's actually disruptive or deleterious to our mission outcomes. So how do we know that I'll, con I'll consistently be able to control my CCA teammate? And finally, workload. 
while operating with my CCA teammates tasks saturate me and make me less mission effective. And this means we have to take into account human factors and the way we're integrating CCA into the humans platform. Now, how will this help increase the trust aspect that we talked about earlier? Slick, by addressing these five pillars, and importantly, by having warfighters involved with the development of CCA from the very beginning, this is going to help warfighters believe and understand how the autonomy is going to work. And they'll have inputs, and so that they know that the autonomy that's being developed is going to be effective and is going to meet their expectations because they know what they're going to need within the battle space. How CCA will work with humans to achieve the mission is crucial. And this isn't something that they should wait until it's totally complete to receive. They need to be telling the engineers exactly what they need and what works and what doesn't. Importantly, because CCA will have to collaborate with humans, we will have to take those human factors into consideration. And fortunately, as I said, we have models for how to solve some of these issues, human formations. So engineers can already begin to look at how humans interact with each other in formations, in mission packages, as support assets, and use those interactions and dynamics as models for how to begin to shape the autonomy of CCA. Because not only do are those combat proven and, are, and they're high performance teams, but they'll also begin to help humans interact with CCA in a way that's familiar, in a way that's known, in a way that they know is already successful. All right, I'm really interested to dig into the pillars, and one of your recommendations in your first pillar, effectiveness, is to identify the strengths and weaknesses of what CCAs will be able to offer in the battle space. The way we often hear about these new technologies, they'll bring everything to everyone, and you're talking more of a nuanced approach, suggesting that humans will still be strong in some areas while unmanned systems may hold advantages in other ways. So can you walk us through that thinking? Slick, thank you for identifying that this is really more nuanced. I mean, CCAs are not going to be a magic pixie dust that solve everything, right? We need to take a more deliberate approach when it comes to developing our operational concepts and understanding what the, the strengths and the weaknesses of CCA will be. Importantly, it's not simply just taking the human out of the aircraft. I mean, that's really what we looked at in previous generations, which allowed those aircraft to be, you know, to fill roles that were dumb, duration, dangerous, or dirty. Today's CCA, because of the advances in software, because of the speeds of processing, because we've been able to miniaturize those, that processing, can do so much more. So CCA today will allow mission planners and commanders to think differently about how they compose their mission packages. It will allow them to think differently about risk factors. So for example, how do a tradable or expendable CCA change your operational concepts or willingness to execute a mission? But more importantly, it should allow us to be able to build a more effective team. And I'm not just speaking about what their capabilities, sensors and weapons and so forth are and building the package that way. I'm actually talking about the cognition of the CCA and the human. CCA will be good at some things, but have significant limitations in other contexts or other applications, whereas humans are very excellent at some things and then have limitations. So for example, CCA should be very good at processing big data, perhaps identifying signals through noise. They could also be very good at fusing multiple sensor inputs. Humans, on the other hand, 
excel at making decisions through uncertainty, about using our intuition. We're very good about being able to continue to take action, even when there isn't a very clear right answer, clear wrong answer, and continuing to be effective through that fog of war. So if we're able to take these two cognitive strengths and put them together through effective teaming, that could make our missions far more effective. So when we know that humans and CCA have different strengths, different weaknesses, different capabilities, different limitations, the question we need to ask ourselves is, how do we put both humans and CCA in a position where we can exploit their strengths, and then how can we compose those formations in a way that then mitigate their weaknesses? So Heather, you also highlight the importance of interactive mission tools in what you call understandability. So what are those and why do they matter? So like, I think this is perhaps one of my favorite pillars because it really gets to the heart of how we're going to be able to exploit the full potential of CCA, not just to be able to make them better, but to also make humans better, right? So first of all, as, as fighter pilots, when we went to school, we learned everything about how our, our aircraft functioned, why it functioned that way, what to do when there was an emergency. And we learned the same thing about our sensors and about our weapons, right? And that helped us maximize their potential within the battle space. We were able to operate them at the very edge of their performance, but not exceed that performance. And then we were also able to understand when they were malfunctioning or when they had gone beyond the limitations of their capabilities. We need to be able to do the exact same for our CCA. And this is one reason why having more fighters involved in the development will be crucial because they can take that operational perspective and then they can apply that understanding to the technical orders in a way that makes sense to other combat pilots. And so that when we're using and learning about our CCA, it makes sense to operators. It's not in engineering speak, right? But beyond that, we need to have the tools that allow us to mission plan, we need to have the tools allow us to rehearse our missions so that we can test whether or not our mission planning will work in a variety of different scenarios. And then finally, we need to have the ability to debrief with our CCA. And I think this is potentially one of the most exciting pieces that we could do with collaborative combat aircraft. Debriefing tools will allow us to continue to refine and improve the performance of our CCA as we reinforce elements of their learning but importantly, we should also be able to harvest information from our CCA during the course of the debriefing process that can allow us to be more effective because we're now learning more about how we engaged, not just our own human performance, but how we interact with the CCA. And when we begin to put those together, our CCA might even be able to suggest new tactics, techniques, and procedures. Our CCA may be able to observe behavior from the adversary, and we might be able to adjust and customize some TTPs for specific theaters. So we could do some really interesting things in the debriefing process that will begin to accelerate our TTPs and actually improve human performance, not just the CCA performance. Now, you also talk about another really important question. How does a pilot know they could depend on the CCA autonomy? Could you walk us through your thoughts on that front? Nobility. 
you know, how do I know that I can trust? How do I know that I can rely on my CCA to do what I needed to do? And frankly, kind of to do what I expected to do, right? That's one of the challenges that we've seen, for example, with self-driving cars is they sometimes do really strange things that are not common sense to humans. And the same thing for some of the visual systems and so forth. So there's a lot of questions out there about the performance of autonomy. Again, this gets back to why warfighters need to be involved from the very beginning. Because the mission decomposition that engineers are going through as they take the, uh, you know, the human out of the cockpit, how those aircraft behave may or may not always make sense with what warfighters might expect. Of course, people talk a lot about the need to be able to have data integrity to make sure that the CCA is not hackable and all of the other IT security limitations. But for me, dependability gets a lot more down to how aligned is the CCA's battle space picture with the human picture? How much do we share, have a shared understanding of the battle space? Because that perception is the foundation then of CCA behaviors and outcomes. So this then means that in addition to having warfighters involved in the development from the beginning and ensuring that, that we have good data security, that we have a way to be able to score or understand how shared or how divergent our battle space awareness is with our CCA. And also, can the CCA tell us what their certainty is, what their accuracy is, and so forth? So depending on how aligned or how tight the CCA's battle space awareness is with their human, or their certainty or their accuracy score might drive different decisions in terms of how the human plans to lead their CCA. So this is, again, really important because if we, if we don't have shared battle space awareness, we're not operating under the same perceptions of what's going on within the battle space. Our outcomes, our behaviors, our decisions are going to be very different. And so in order to be able to synchronize those behaviors within the battle space, we need to make sure that we have that shared battle space awareness. Now, Heather, what does it mean for humans to have assured control over the CCAs in their flight? Uh, what sort of paradigm do you envision for this? I mean, ultimately, these systems are to empower the humans in the battle space, and it's really important to be able to exercise control over them as circumstances demand in the battle space. So, like, this is a really thorny issue. The ability to have assured control over our CCA is crucial. Kind of the foundation of that is the holy grail of having continuous, resilient communications, ensuring that we always have that link to our CCA. But we know that that's not always going to be the case. Adversaries are going to do their best to deny us spectrum, to deny us connectivity. So we need to build into our CCA methods to have graceful degradation that continue to provide control to the human. And that could be contractual. There could be other means to be able to do that. But that graceful degradation is utterly essential. There's another really important piece of this is not just the graceful degradation, but contextual control. And humans do this pretty seamlessly because we understand context, right? And you can kind of think of it as a ladder. At the very top of the ladder, it's the most empowering where it's, you know, it's command intent, it's very descriptive. And at the bottom of the ladder, it's the most constrained, right? Where it's very controlling, very directive. But there are steps, there are shades in between descriptive at the top of the ladder, which is the most independent, to very directive, which is the least independent. 
And the context is both the battle space context as well as a context of the capability and the trust of the wingman with the flight lead, right? You experience this. When you go out and you fly with a really inexperienced wingman, you are watching them closely. You might be micromanaging them just a little bit, being far more directive and far more controlling and telling them what to do because you didn't truly trust them. And honestly, they didn't have the experience to be that trustworthy, right? They're, they had a lot of limitations in their performance. They had a lot of errors in their execution. But when you go out and you'd fly with a really experienced instructor pilot who just happened to be in the role of a wingman that day, you could be very descriptive, give them a really long leash, uh, and just give them the, your intent. You could operate primarily off of contract. So you can see how the individual, whether or not that's a human wingman or CCA, that context mattered. But also the battle space context matters, right? If everything is as you had planned and the adversary doesn't do anything wily or surprising, then you can be very descriptive because you can just rely and very contractual because you can just rely on your game plan. But when the adversary does something totally unexpected and completely disrupts what your game plan is, you have to go back down the ladder to be more directive and more controlling because you're basically calling a lot of audibles. One of the main challenges for CCA is that sometimes when things are becoming really out of hand within the battle space, very surprising, we might have the bandwidth to be directive, but we might also need to rely upon the experience and trust and provides a lot more independence to our wingmen to be effective. Those edge cases might be where our CCA are least able to be independent and effective. Those edge cases, when the battle space is really surprising, might be when they need the most direction. And so that's going to be a tension and a challenge that warfighters and technologists will really have to work out as they develop CCA. All right. And not being devil's advocate here, but how do we know that we're not simply adding a set of tasks to human pilots that are simply going to overload them? I mean, flying in harm's way in a supersonic combat aircraft is hard enough. And you talk about how this has ebbed and flowed over the past generations with new technology demanding additional human capacity to meet mission demands. So to this point, you talk about how all the new systems demanded in the F-4 Phantom basically made it become a two-crew aircraft. And it took years of development to automate functions with a rollout of the F-15 so we can get the crew back to just a single seat. So how do we ensure CCAs don't go down the same path and demand more from the pilots than they you know, have to give in their parts of the mission? Slick, I completely agree. And this is where human factors is going to come in. And again, where warfighters have to be involved from the very beginning so that they can shape their expectations and their needs as the technologists are developing those interfaces and developing the rule sets of interaction and teaming between the CCAs and the humans, right? First of all, these interfaces have to be intuitive. As I mentioned, you know, as I told the story before, Control-Alt-Delete, not a good way to turn an airplane left. So as warfighters collaborate with engineers, they, will, they should push their expectations. They should push their needs on how to begin to shape what those interfaces, what those controls look like. Then finally, and I think this is absolutely crucial, is that those controls need to be integrated into the human's weapon system. This means we're not sitting with an iPad strapped to our knee and having to go craniums down and hands off 
to direct RCCA. It will need to be integrated seamlessly into the weapon system and importantly also mimic and mirror the muscle memory, the other command movements, the switchology and the symbology that humans are already familiar with. We do this all the time anyways when we introduce new weapons or new sensors onto platforms. We mirror and we mimic existing switchology, muscle movements, and symbology. This isn't new. We just need to make sure that we do this as we develop CCA and we get them to field. We have to integrate them into existing weapon systems. Heather, zooming out to the big picture, how do you recommend we evaluate the progress of CCA efforts? Are there particular aspects that we should assess and grade? So like, I think this is going to be rolling quarters in terms of assessments and grading. It's going to be an iterative process, but I think most importantly is we've got to get them flying. And I don't mean like a single demonstrator, and I don't mean a single agent. I'm talking about a lot of different types of aircraft, and we need to explore different agents and different companies' approaches to that autonomy. The Air Force has talked about accelerating Ghost Bat, and I think that's fantastic, but that should not be the only aircraft and the only platform that we use. They need to buy from a lot of different companies and explore a lot of different platforms. They should be buying Avenger. They should be buying Fury. They should be buying Valkyrie because those different platforms will allow us to explore different mechanisms and different approaches, right? And importantly, they need to fly them in real live fly. Simulation is great, but it can only go so far. We need to put them in actual physics, so the real physical world, in real airspace with real winds and real weather and real average pilots. That do things right, do things that are unexpected, and sometimes make human errors. So this is the only way that we're going to really understand the performance and the value of CCA and test them as to whether or not they will be effective within the battle space. And importantly, it'll teach us a lot about what we need to do in the next software drop. All right, as always, we're running short on time with a great conversation, but how does the Air Force hedge its bets with this technology? I mean, clearly, we believe in the concept, but we know that combatant commanders need answers that are operationally viable, and this technology will take time to mature. So how do we encourage new tech while still balancing very real capability and capacity demands today and into the next several years? Slick, you hit the key there. It's about balance, right? We need to be able to do both. We have to be able to continue to hedge our bets by recapitalizing the the manned force that we have today while continuing to invest in the force of the future. You know, what we, the technologies that we know will help us transform into that force design that'll be effective against a pure adversary. What does this mean? It means we have to fully commit to completing the entire portfolio of existing programs and existing buys. We've got to make sure that we accelerate F-35, that we remain fully committed to B-21. NGAD needs to be accelerated as well to the extent that we can, but we have to continue to remain committed to manned platforms. Likewise, we need to ensure that we've got a resilient pilot base. So to the extent that we can accelerate pilot production, retain those pilots, whether or not that's in the active component or, importantly, in the reserve component, and then continue developing this new technologies. So we have to be able to develop those minimum viable products, field them, iteratively update them, but then in addition to updating them, being willing to replace them with the next block as we learn what CCA need to be. So it is that balance, it's that combination of remaining committed to recapitalization with traditional land platforms while remaining committed to the new technology.
We cannot wait for perfect as we develop in field CCA, but we also cannot afford to blow up what we know works, manned traditional aircraft, for what right now is pretty much a theory. So it's a balance. No, I totally get it, Heather. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us today and discuss the paper. It's really interesting, and it is a reality of the fact that we're going to have CCAs out in the battle space in the future. Absolutely, Slick. Again, thank you so much. I'm really excited about the promise and the potential of these aircraft. But again, key is, is we've got to get warfighters in from the very beginning. With that, I'd like to extend a big thank you to our guests for joining in today's discussion. I'd also like to extend a big thank you to our listeners for your continued support and for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard today, don't forget to hit that like button and follow or subscribe to the Aerospace Advantage. You can also leave a comment to let us know what you think about our show or areas you think we should explore further. As always, you can join in on the conversation by following the Mitchell Institute on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn, and you can always find us at mitchellaerospacepower.org. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time. Stay safe and check six.